Welcome to the NAW podcast series, Innovate to Dominate, sponsored by Pros. Today's episode is called Gut Check, a distribution point of view on disruption and change. And it looks at disruptive trends in the B2B landscape and offers in-depth analysis from the distributor's perspective. In today's interview, you will hear from Ian Heller, founder and senior partner at Real Results Marketing, Mark Dancer, author of NAW's Innovate to Dominate, the 12th edition in the Facing the Forces of Change series, and Richard Blatcher, Director of Industry Marketing and Business Intelligence at Pros. So let's get started with Gut Check. Well, hello, everybody. This is uh, another in our podcast series with uh, the NAW. And we're very excited because we're here in Washington, D.C. at the annual um, Executive Summit. And I'm with my regular partner, Mark Dancer. Yes. Institute Fellow and also author of the Innovate to Dominate Research and, and Publication. Yes. And we're both excited to welcome Ian Heller. Ian, we've been working together for many years. Thank you so much for for joining us and maybe just for our listeners and our viewers you could just give a little bit of a introduction to you and your background sure. and um, uh, what you've uh, been talking about so far in the summit. You bet. Well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to be here. I'm delighted. Uh, really enjoy working with pros and uh, and with you, Mark, as well. Thank you. Um, so my background is all in distribution. I was a truck and loader at a Granger branch when I was in college. and. 15 years later, I was the VP of marketing there, and I've done that job for three other large publicly held distributors. Along the way, I started a consulting practice called Real Results Marketing. I worked over at MDM for a period of time, and now I'm back to consulting and writing and speaking. So um, you made a very, very um, passionate, exciting, interesting um, presentation this morning. So I just wondered if it would be okay to ask you a couple of questions. Again, for of some of the viewers and the listeners that you know, weren't um, able to, to consume that information. But I think for me, one of the, um, the most interesting start point was your question of raise your hands in the room. And it wasn't raise your hands in the room if you bought something or you're a prime member. It was raise your hand in the room if you've ever had to call Amazon, and I thought that was a really interesting yeah. kind of take. So, so what did you mean by that? Because that was a really yeah. fascinating moment. Well, you know, we've all, or a lot of people have been to these conferences where a speaker says, how many of you are Prime members? And everybody raises their hands. And I think that kind of misses the point if you're trying to differentiate from Amazon, because obviously just about everybody or a lot of people are Prime members. So what I ask is, how many of you have ever called Amazon to place an order? And nobody raises their hands, which I think reinforces the point that they do not want to include people in the delivery of value. They want to have service-free transactions that are just about products. So when you you saw on the Amazon business platform, it's a product and a price, and that is all. And so that leaves a lot of white space for distributors to compete because distributors are all about, or at least many of them are all about services. So if you're doing important services for your customers, then you're doing things that they're not likely to get on any of these big marketplace platforms. And you gave some pretty um, exciting, worrying, concerning, opportunistic, well, call it what you will, the numbers with Amazon have been 2023, 35, 36 billion. Yeah. A few years after that, anywhere between 135 and 235 billion dollars. And that's just Amazon business to business, let alone a lot of the other people that we've been speaking to. I mean, Alibaba and these other 
these other companies. So they're both a threat and an opportunity, which is something that you've talked about a lot. Yeah, look, I think the, the fundamental question I'm asking is, are marketplaces just going to displace one company websites as the primary means of executing simple transactions? So is it just going to be that in the future, uh, unless there's some value add or something special, most people are just going to buy on marketplaces because they're more convenient. I mean, if I were to take 30 years of B2B customer research and boil it down to one statement, it would be make my job easier. I'm, that's probably where Staples got their easy button at one point in time. And that's really why Granger did so well for such a long period of time is because they had such an extraordinary assortment. Well, now Granger has, you know, a couple million SKUs, but Amazon's got three million third-party sellers, active sellers. So who's winning the assortment game? Well, you know, if you're a buyer and you can go one place and get it all, then that's very convenient. It saves you time. It's, you know, fewer number of POs. So if marketplaces are going to prevail as the place where you execute simple transactions, then everybody who's got a website today is going to have to have a marketplace strategy of some kind tomorrow. Now, um, this is a very disruptive time, but it is one of, of opportunity. And you talk a lot about services. And one of the things I found fascinating was some of the research that you do when you're giving these talks or when you're engaging with these companies is you go and have a look what services do they offer, let alone what do they actually communicate that they offer. And you showed us this morning a list of 250 of these, right. where, whereby the majority of distributors, A, probably don't know how to offer those services, don't know where to offer those services, how do they even price those services. So I thought that was very telling. Yeah, I think distributors have offered services for a long time, but they've bundled them uh, in with the product. And that really creates two problems. One is generally distributors are more expensive online because the product price assumes you're going to be consuming services with it, whereas the marketplaces explicitly are not providing services. So you get this pricing disadvantage. Um, and then the second thing is, if you're just giving them away, you're probably not bringing a lot of rigor to standardizing them and delivering them at low cost and and working out how you're going to price them and market them. I mean, you know, the way that manufacturers add a lot of rigor or bring a lot of rigor to product development, distributors should do the same with service development. And if you force yourself to charge for at least some of them as a means of ensuring that you're managing them professionally and with the proper rigor, uh, I think you're gonna come out with a lot more valuable services to your customers than if you just say, ah, we'll just throw that in there with the product. So distributors have tried to work on services mm. for years, yeah. right? And had some have had success, some have had mixed success. Sometimes it's because the customers don't think they buy services from distributor, they might buy it somewhere else. Sure. Sometimes it's other things. If you were talking to a, a distributor leader or his leadership team and they, and they understood what you just said. Sure. And they said, we really wanna do services right this time. What are the things you would have them do to, to go down the right path and end up with services they can hang their hat on? So I met a person last night who works for a distributor. He's been there for three weeks. And he used to work for a manufacturing company and he was in product development. So this very enlightened distributor, progressive distributor, has hired a product development person to come in and learn how to do service development in a distribution environment. So they're going to bring, you know, stage gate processes and all the product development stuff um, and, you know, figure out how you do it right. And I, I don't think that distributors are unsuccessful 
selling services because some of them haven't tried hard. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they're experts at it. Right. I mean, it, it, it's it, not in their makeup. Right. It's not in their experience it, to sell services like that. Right. right. And my, my guidance to him was go, go figure out one. Yeah. Start building the muscles of the organization. There's probably a service that that organization already does well that you could charge for. Or in some cases, maybe you only charge for it above a certain customer size, which still that, that actually adds value to the people at the top because they feel like they're getting something extra for being a big customer, right? Yeah. Go develop one. And there are some, you know, whether it's rentals or repairs or, you know, kidding or special kinds of delivery like vending or whatever that, you know, you do expect some kind of economic exchange for, right? Do you think that the, if they're going to offer a new service and they might get started and do something easy and move down that and build it over time, but do you think eventually that data and AI and analytics should be the core of most services or enable it somehow? Um, What's the relationship? I, I think services that differentiate and keep you protected from big marketplaces are going to include human involvement in most cases. Yeah. Simply because you can't digitize it. So I think you have to be smart with AI, but I would look at, I would, at least I would, I've never thought about that question mark, so it's a good thing to ponder for me. But I think my starting point would be, I want to do services that are important to my customers that big pure digital players are not likely to do because it screws up the economics of their financial model. It's Your feedback on that uh, is really interesting because I think the question comes from tech startups I've talked to mm. who say, whatever I'm doing, I'm building a data platform. Right. Because right? they want to gather that data because then they can monetize the data, yes. which is a strategy for distributors. Mm. But your pushback and your, your observation is more about, uh, I call it human-centric innovation. Yes. Right? What can we do together when we're with somebody in a physical space, two people working together. And I, I, I think when I've asked that question for distributors, I don't phrase it very well, but then the conversation stops really soon. Yeah. And I, th- when it goes a little further, I hear things about training around emotional intelligence mm-hmm. so they can be more empathetic. Distributors are kind of street level people in a way, practical yeah. people. So if a distributor is going to go down the path of my differentiation, my value proposition is going to have a strong human element. Yeah. Same question. Why would you tell the distributor leaders to go at to, to look for that opportunity? Well, the way that I tell people to get started, or I suggest that people get started, is to do what I did, which is to go look at all the websites of your competitors and then companies like yours around the world and make an inventory of all the services that they offer. Um, because that's already out there in the marketplace. I mean, when I started doing this last year or a couple of years ago, I was in Europe. I was like, well, you know, I'm presenting to this uh, audience of European power transmission distributors. I better make sure the stuff that I'm talking about is relevant. So I started looking at their websites and I was like, well, you know, they're doing a lot of things that I see in the U.S. And then some things are different, a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses. So I started compiling a list then. But it quickly became apparent that there are these lists of services embedded in these websites of these distributors around the world. Now, a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, they're not under a services tab on the homepage, which is a big mistake. If you have them, for heaven's sake, take credit for them. Um, but somewhere in there, a lot of times it's in the about us or you know, somewhere embedded in there are the services. I would make a list and take it out to my customers and say, yeah, I work with my management team and say, hey, we've identified 50 services that we think are attractive. Let's narrow it down to 10 and go ask our customers which ones they would be most interested in buying from us. You know, I don't think you need to start from scratch. You could always go and start with customer 
you know, research. But the reality is, if a whole bunch of distributors are offering these, that's sort of, you know, crowdsourced research anyway, you know, because a bunch of customers have spoken and these distributors are responding by putting these services together. So I would say, hey, that's crowdsourced research. I'm going to go ask my customers if they would be interested in buying these from me. Excellent. And we've, we've heard from other distributors, we've heard from our customers that apply that logic. They mm -hmm. listen to those customers, they tailor, they personalize that offering, service, product, sure. whatever it is, and then they engage through the correct channel in the correct way with the correct optimized price. And mm -hmm. they found that that helped grow that, that revenue mm -hmm. and profitably, I might add, you know, improving the margin. I did a project years ago for a manufacturer who asked me to, this is 10 or 15 years ago, maybe pre-internet, who asked me to talk to the distributors and find out what their different value propositions were. Mm. And the beginning of it, the idea was I'd probably talk to 30 or 40 distributors. And we stopped the project after five because they all said almost use the same identical words. I'm interested in as distributors do AI and as they do services and as they, maybe they do some platform business models, things like that. Do you think that distribution will move kind of in the same direction in mass to offering new value to customers? Or will there be significant differences between distributors and the value proposition that they offer? Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I just finished a branding project for a distribution company. And so I got interested in this term, what you want, when you want it, where you want it, because I kept running into it. And the earliest reference I found was, in, was from 1920 in a distributor to the, to the lumber industry. And I printed out the ad and showed it to the distributor and said, we're not gonna say what you want, where you want it, <laughs> when you want it, because it's just so ubiquitous and it, so it has kind of lost all meaning, right? right? right. Um, but if you think about it, that really is sort of the core of what a distributor offers, right? I've got a lot of different products and I make them rapidly available to you when you need them and I'll deliver them if you want them. So my guess is as distributors get more sophisticated at offering services, the common thing will be we are a service provider as well as a product provider. Mm -hmm. but, but it's not a panacea. You're still going to need to be good digitally. You're still going to need to have a marketplace strategy. Uh, but I think that, that unlike that core value proposition around product, the service proposition is going to be pretty variable based on the industry that you're in. I mean, as I look at those, like the services that I showed you today, they vary a lot based on whether or not you're looking at an electrical distributor or an HVAC distributor or a power transmission distributor. Um, and, you know, some of, some of them are very interesting because they all they sell is something like, you know, fire extinguishers, but they go and inspect them and audit them and replace them. Um, and so their list of services is very different than, you know, an HVAC distributor. So I think the commonality will be services. Some of the language may be the same as they describe them, but the services themselves will vary by industry. So they'll be pretty homogenous within vertical, but heterogeneous between verticals. I wonder if you help distributors understand, because you, you've held senior positions in a number of publicly traded distributorships, you know distribution. Um, a lot of distributors, leaders, they know that as the leader of the organization or on the senior leadership team, they don't necessarily have the skills that are required because there's new skills required to compete in the new age. They don't even have the right mindset, right? And and I'm wondering if you if you if you run across that and how you help distributor leaders and their leadership teams think more proactively and appropriately about the opportunities in the marketplace. Well, I think that just a lot of distributors anyway have gotten into this really unhealthy loop where they're hearing from their own teams and they're hearing from gurus 
that senior management's the problem. You're not committing to digital. But when you talk to the senior leaders, they say, I spent millions and millions of dollars on digital and I don't have any demonstrated return. Whereas when I go and hire salespeople, I'm pretty sure I'm growing the business. So it's, it, there's kind of this unhealthy debate that really needs to stop. And I think what's happened in, in, in you know, maybe the way to approach that is let's quit pointing fingers at each other and just realize maybe we're building the wrong things digitally, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this notion that we're gonna build a big commerce site and we're gonna put 50,000 SKUs on there and we're gonna make it look like Granger.com or Amazon.com. I just don't think that's really the value add for most distributors. I mean, I've worked with distributors who have very specific uh, websites that are, you know, they're tailored account by account or they have, they're very information rich to facilitate the whole relationship or, you know, you can configure products on the site, but you're not transacting on them. And what you're really looking for is engagement electronic, electronically. You need to quit measuring your success by what comes to the shopping cart. Okay, so I think I think we're out there building the wrong thing and then beating each other up for it. And the reality is, we should just start with okay, what is it that our customers need that we can deliver digitally better than through other methods, and let's build that right. Mm -hmm. And I, so I think I think there's a there's a change in focus and expertise that needs to happen, and that's going to resolve some of this finger pointing. And I think. It's not a case of it's digital and nothing else. It's right. not. It's not. It's not an all. It's an and, because a thread of with a lot of the interviews and a lot of the discussions we've had yeah. of this series here has been that it's part of how you engage. And you summed it up beautifully with understand the customer, you you personalize, you tailor, and then you engage. Mm. But you engage through those different channels consistently, in the right way at the right time. It's not just an online catalog and there's a cart and I'm done. Right. And that's what a lot of companies have done. So we we would agree um, when we've looked at it and um, it's refocusing where a lot of distributors mm -hmm. have already invested heavily in digital transformation and frankly, it just hasn't given the results that I Well, the, the example I started with this morning was Staples. Yeah. And no one could say Staples wasn't a world-class digital company in 2011. I mean, they were, right? And no one could say that they weren't omni-channel because they had over 2,000 stores. And they did you know, almost $25 billion in revenue that year and made a billion dollars in net income. And they grew right through the Great Recession. Five years after that, during an economic boom time in the US, they declined 26% in revenues. And then in 2016, lost a billion and a half and then got taken private by a big, big BE group. Well, that's not because they didn't spend enough on digital or they weren't omni-channel, which are the two big thing, you know, sort of types of advice that the current gurus keep giving distributors. Well, so it didn't work for them. And so I think- Because you know, it wasn't consistent. It, yeah. It, and it wasn't, and, and ultimately those, their customers moved to marketplaces for their stuff. Mm. And so now they're trying to become a service company and they're, you know, engaging in some other things. I think that's really smart for them. I think they've figured it out, but the reality is that if marketplaces are the substitute for transactions of simple items, then you would expect office supplies to be hit first long before con, you know, construction yes. supplies. Yeah. So this, this marketplace needs to be a part of everyone's solution, but you don't want your business to be a, as simple as a bunch of office supplies. You need you know, engineered products and configurations and, and add value added services. I think it was our panel today was, was very powerful in that we had uh, Alex and John oh. talking about things from the virtual world and the platform yeah. perspective. 
Uh, and then you mentioned several times that distributors need to have a strategy for marketplaces, mm -hmm. which can be, do you participate? Do you build? Do you partner? Things like that. But I don't want to answer that question. And if, if you were talking to a distributor leader right now who says, yes, I need to have a strategy for marketplaces, what would you advise them to do? How do they build their strategy? Well, I think first of all, they need a strategy for AI and a strategy for marketplaces. Ah. And, the, the, and the two are inseparable. And you know, the example I used this morning was, you know, Pros has their, uh, you call it a boot camp uh, or certificate, AI certificate or do it's Yeah, I mean, we, we do various courses and the most popular is coming to our annual Outperform right. event. And that's uh, the one that I saw. That's in, right. You, you were there in, last year and this year it's going to be in Orlando early October. So that's where you, but you can engage you know, with us at any time and learn about what AI is. And most importantly, how do you apply it? And frankly, one of the messages, this is not new. I mean, Pros right. is a 30 year old company and the airline and the travel industry faced these challenges right. 15, 20 years ago. So a lot of that logic and that methodology is now being transferred. Um, and we have to thank you, Ian, because you very eloquently <laughs> t tell the story about what is AI, what is AI, how important is it, you know, which uh, with your time with uh, I learned Dr. from Michael. Dr. Michael Wu. Well, right. yeah, and uh, thank you, you know, on his behalf because you really told it eloquently. But yeah. well, and you, you have some relevance when you say it too. Well, exactly, you applied it to the relevance of a yes. When I said, "If he can make me understand it, anybody can understand it," I was being sincere. <laughs> I'm the same. But, if I can I, understand it, but I think you know. For, for, Look, I mean, Pros is a great AI course from what I've heard. I didn't attend it, but from, I talked to people at your conference that did. And, you know, why would you not take advantage of that? You don't even have to be a, a Pros customer, I don't think, to, to attend the course. No, of course not. And, 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 you know, and you have other vendors, if you're a distributor as well, you should bring them in. I mean, one of the things I really like about getting grounded in AI and a course like uh, Pros is it's going to help you understand whether your tech vendors are really selling you AI or they're selling you a bill of goods. Because a lot of people who sell, at, sell, sell AI don't really have it, right? And so once you start learning that, oh, well, there's machine learning involved and it's a learning system and it gets better on its own, your ability to understand whether tech vendors have something real or whether it's vapor, it gets a lot better. And so I would say, you know, get grounded in some stuff from your vendors or, you know, prospective vendors like pros and, you know, get educated. It's not that hard. And there are a lot of good resources online. Um, but you need to understand that to understand the potential of marketplaces, mm -hmm. in my opinion, because they're connected. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of marketplace development, I think, you know, Alex's book, Modern Monopolies, is a really important read for distributors. I think they should absolutely uh, read that. I think, you know, all these big marketplace players would be more than happy to give you their sales pitch. By all means, listen to what Amazon Business has to say. Listen to what Alibaba has to say. You know, talk to Walmart.com. Go in with a very skeptical eye because they are trying to build their businesses, not yours, mm -hmm. right? And they may not always, you know, that's a, they're selling you, right? So be careful. Don't sign on the dot, on the dotted line you know, while you're with them. But listen to what they have to say. And then I would say, you know, engage with people like Alex or me or whomever and, so, and, and, and ask for help thinking through what your marketplace strategy is going to be. Um, because I think this is a really critical time. Um, and also be willing to participate in industry-centered marketplaces if we develop them. And uh, just to give a practical example, yes. Mark, Ian, is that 
and, and Ian, we, we, we've been talking with John from Alibaba and Alex, so you both mentioned that one of the threads that came through when we were talking about opportunity and growth was they just used both exactly the same example of, well, wouldn't it be great if their sales force of a distributor could be making intelligent recommendations? Because they don't know what they don't know. Sure. Now, we have distributor customers that are doing that now. And again, that's a practical application of AI right. in that example. So this isn't a nice to have. This isn't a five years, 10 years hope. This is here, it's available today. Right. And whichever strategy you have, if you're working with the right partners um, and breaking it down to those practical applications mm. of the technology and the processes and a lot of the, the, the work that Mark and the NAW say in the Innovate to Dominate series, if you apply it practically, a lot of it is there. It's The tough thing is finding the right people to work with Yeah. Mm -hmm. to then apply it. Right. Yeah, I'm sure that's true, yeah. I have a question about um, related to this, but about uh, distributors and their customers and trust and loyalty and those sort of things. Distributors have a longstanding relationship with customers. And we've heard today several times that uh, the marketplaces and the startup or established, they, they see there's value in that, right? Mm -hmm. that they have to build it themselves and if they can leverage that if they work with distributors. I'm curious as to whether or not as the customers of distributors see businesses have seen more options to buy, right? Whether they are going to rethink their relationship with distributors consciously or subconsciously and whether distributors should be doing anything proactively to think about how they measure trust and loyalty in the digital age. Mm. Right? A lot of distributors, when I ask them that question, they'll say repeat purchases or churn or a little bit of margin if they recognize the value I offer, those kind of answers. Is that enough? No, I mean, I think every distributor should track their net promoter score. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's a well-established, you know, of course, there are some people who don't like it, but it is a consistent way that allows you to benchmark versus uh, other people's performance. And I think, uh, you know, you, you need to, net promoter score by itself is not enough because you need to understand what's underlying it and how, you know, it could be disrupted by a competitor going forward. Uh, but, you know, it's a pretty well-established way of understanding how sticky you are with your customers. And I think, you know, the problem is if you don't do that, then a lot of what you get is anecdotal. And mm -hmm. my, and, you know, I'm a big fan of salespeople. I spend a lot of time with them. But, you know, like anybody else, they're subject to their own biases. And I think about 70% of what you hear from salespeople is accurate, but that 30% that's not could kill you. Yeah. So you're, you're, you know, get another data point. And I think, you know, a really well-run NPS, not the way the automotive industry does it, where they completely, you know, bias the system because the salesperson says, I'll fill that out for you. Right. You know, but if you... Well, if please you, give me a score, right? Yeah, right. So, but I think if you administer it correctly... Uh, and then particularly over time, it tells you directionally, you know, how you're doing in terms of keeping customers loyal to you. I think innovation happens in small steps yeah. and it's hard work. And then occasionally sometime after a long time, it, it adds up to something big yeah. and business is done completely differently. How do you, if you look sort of five to 10 years or whatever the right time frame is somewhere down the road, do you think distributor business models are going to be dramatically different than they are today? in some way? Um, I think if I was running a 
distribution company, I would say, let's look at what's working on our own firm. And then we're going to add two components. We're going to add a services strategy and we're going to add a marketplace strategy. And we're going to follow the, you know, the Jim Collins model of bullets before cannonballs, right? So we're going to, we're going to find a service that we can be successful with, right? And then we're going to dabble in some marketplaces to figure out a strategy. But we're going to have meetings about how well we're doing every two to four weeks. And we're going to have general managers who are in charge of those initiatives. And they're going to have goals and they're going to report to the executive team or they're going to be on the executive team reporting to the board. Um, and we're going to make relentless progress. We're going to make mistakes, fail fast, learn, recover, and try again. And by the end of five years, um, your, your company will look different in many ways, but it'll look enhanced. You'll still recognize the core of who you are today. What will, what will have been added is a robust marketplace strategy and a, a set of services that, you know, whatever the revenue is that they produce, they have a multiplier impact because they preserve a lot of your product revenues because your customers are consuming services too. Yeah, excellent. And we talked about this a little bit this morning, but as distributors do that, actually I had a side conversation with another distributor after our panel this morning, and we were talking about the manufacturer-distributor relationship, which we brought up a little bit. Yeah. And this distributor thought that, the person I was just chatting with thought that distributors need to take the lead in redefining that relationship. Hmm. It's a hard thing to do because manufacturers, they write the authorizations. Sure. They create the pricing structure. Sure. Right? They have the inherent, the, the business relationship kind of defaults to them leading for that. But I think that there's a, there's a challenge and response thing that will happen with the traditional value chain and marketplaces, right? The value chain. Yes, I agree. Right. So if you're a distributor and you want to revitalize the chapter, it's a, cha uh, it's a revitalize the value chain. It's a chapter in Innovate to Dominate. Mm -hmm. How would you tell them to get started on that and what to do about it? What the possibilities are? How would you tell manufacturers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, to I think lead with manufacturers. Yeah. I think, you know, look, when industries consolidate, it creates margin compression on producers, right? So when Home Depot entered the, you know, the hardware industry and, you know, put a lot of local hardware stores and staff to houses out of business, um, then margins got, un were put under a lot of pressure. And so if you work with any of the hardware co-ops or distributors in that industry, the manufacturers are working hard and legally to try to level the playing field a little bit because it's a problem for them to have so much of their sales can, you know, concentrated. Right. They've got a customer concentration problem. Well, you know, that can happen here as well. And I think the story that distributors need to start with is, you know, look, we have a, we have a joint interest in, you know, Amazon business not becoming a $200 billion company or, you know, 20 billion within my vertical or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, that that's, that's a lot of these manufacturers have been through this before with other consolidators and that just makes sense. They don't want to have any customer concentration. Yes. But I think the other thing is you need to, you know, manufacturers are responsible for growing their business, not yours. And so you don't go to them just with, you know, Hey, you know, we need to survive. You also go to them with ideas about how you can sell more together. In a lot of cases, there are services that manufacturers can add to their products. You know, we talked about Rockwell Automation, yes. right? And what a robust set of services that they have and how that's really good for them and their distributors and it's differentiating all the way up the channel. But how many other manufacturers are thinking in those terms and partnering with, with their distributors in that way? Not a lot. Mm. 
Excellent. And, um, distributors own the relationship. They have the transactional history. They have a yeah. lot of the data. So with that insight, they can go to the manufacturer yeah. and make much better, stronger, um, more optimized recommendations. Yeah. It might be on price, it might be on service, whatever it would be on offerings, bundling, how to deal with tariffs and mm -hmm. a lot of the volatility there. That's something that the distributors can really and should really take the lead on. Yeah. As long as they leverage the information that's in the business that they have. Right. And just taking the long view, there's a there's sort of a to me an interesting observation about that. Probably 15, 20, 25 years ago, I was working with some manufacturers who were trying to get distributors to give them their point of sale data. And part of the pitch was, well, we'll pay you for it, we'll give you a discount for it. But really what they were saying was, you should give me that data because I'll do more with it than you will. And then mm. I'll give it back to you. Mm. That sort of attitude should not be there anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Distributors using AI and analytics, yeah. they should be the masters of that data and how yes. to leverage it and how to squeeze every little thing out of it. Right. Right. Agreed. Well, Ian, thank you so much for your insights and your expertise. And Mark, as always, thank you for facilitating uh, the conversation. Um, what we will do um, is to share your contact details because you've got a sure. website, mm -hmm. distributionstrategy.com, yep. right? So we'll share your contact details to um, our listeners and our right. viewers to make sure that they can engage with you. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk again. And thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. It was good, good to talk to you both. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you, Mark. Very good. Thank you. Also, I love you both. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the NAW podcast series, Innovate to Dominate, sponsored by Pros, with Richard Blatcher from Pros, Mark Dancer, an NAW Institute for Distribution Excellence Fellow, and today's very special guest, Ian Heller of Real Results Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to visit naw.org slash i2d or pros.com slash naw, where you can subscribe to our podcast series, enter to win your very own copy of NAW's book, Innovate to Dominate, and even view webinars from NAW and Pros. See you next time.